Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to the Common Ground Unity Podcast. We are thrilled to have another conversation today with Marty Solomon. We thank you, our listeners, for joining in once again. We know that you're going to be uh, blessed by the conversation we have with Marty today to continue a conversation that we started last week. Just by way of reminder, Marty Solomon is uh, the creator and host of the Bema podcast, where he talks about scripture. And he's taken that uh, podcast and those conversations to a, a place of writing and uh, putting to paper some things that are going to enrich your walk in the Word. The book that is going to be released in February of this year is Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. It's published by NAB Press, so you want to be looking for that and picking up a copy. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about that book today. By the way, we didn't mention this. Uh, in addition to the work he does, uh, Marty and his wife, Rebecca, they live in Cincinnati with their two children. And you can find out more about Marty at martysolomon.com. So, Marty, welcome back to the podcast today. We're so, so glad to have you again to continue this conversation. I just want to ask you something at the start. This is your first book, and I hope for more to come. But uh, what was this like, writing your first book, and what kind of things did you learn in that process, and what's the process like for you? Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Like, I love the creative process. I love producing content on so many levels, and this was no exception to that. I, you know, this book, I was told by other writers, your first book has been in you for a long time, so your first book just kind of, like, comes out, and... Mm -hmm. And that was really true in a lot of ways. Like this book had been in my head and and on the podcast and whatever. That's the future books that will be far more of a challenge, I'm sure. Um, this book was something I got away on a couple of writing retreats. I wrote the rough draft manuscript kind of a week away at a cabin, so to speak, a, a home away. And then I went back after they suggested some revisions and spent one more week. So really it was a two-week endeavor. The future books will be much more than that, I can promise. But the, the thing I learned was how, um, I mean, I've learned a lot about the process so that my team won't have to help me nearly as much, but the publishing team, the team at NavPress, I have loved every single one of those human beings. They, I mean, I think you said in the last episode that the book was accessible and very well written. And half of that is the work of my editors. They just made me sound so intelligent and so <laughs> well articulate and, uh, that, but they were, I mean, just the, even the work of revisions, the cover design, like I was, there was things like the title or the cover design that I had already been told, like, just prepare yourself. It's just, you're just going to hate everything about it. It's like giving birth to a child and letting somebody else name it. And I was like, this is just <laughs> going to be bad. But the whole process, the team at NavPress has been such a joy. I love all of them. Um, Caitlin, 
and Olivia and all the folks that I've had to work with, they just have made this such a joy. So kudos to them. You know, I love the, um, the way that you're talking about the process. And it just reminds me of how the body of Christ works together in a way that, you know, we can see you in this book, but then you're also bringing out like how other parts of the body work together to make this even better. And so I, I think that's, that's really powerful and important and super sweet of you to recognize their contributions in this way. And yeah, I hope everybody will get this book and uh, that there will be lots more after this. Yeah, there's always some, there's always the stuff you can see, and then there's all the stuff that you can't see that made what you can see what it is. And mm -hmm. whether it's the Brent Billings of the world or the listeners of a podcast that even made any, I mean, there, and then there's, like you said, in our, in our daily fellowship, the folks that we are all tied up and bound up in relationship with that do the same thing. Like we make, we make others beautiful because of, and they do the same for us. Mm -hmm. And that's how this kind of unity that you guys talk about is supposed to work. So amen to that. Mm, amen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking that um, it seems like today we talked uh, in the last podcast about de deconstruction process and a lot more openness to questioning things and whatever. And it seems like one thing that is more prominent now, at least in my experience, is that people hold the view that the Bible isn't relevant today. What would you say to someone who says that the Bible isn't relevant to our time, to this generation, yep. you know, whatever? Yeah. You know, that statement, um, can you, in my experience typically comes from a couple, maybe even more, but a couple different places. One, it can come from a place where people think it's not relevant because the Bible has been, has been rendered irrelevant. It's it's been talked about and boring, dusty, like static <laughs> ways, and that's a tragedy because there's so much out there to discuss and learn. Talking about the Bible should never, ever, ever, ever be dry or boring. Or so sometimes that comes from like a ugh, the Bible really, but I. I don't find that to be a very, especially, you know, I work with young kids, young, young adults, college kids all the time. They, they are not like they're, they're all in when it comes to the Bible and Jesus. Like they're, because they see the Bible as this piece of ancient literature, they're fascinated by, we're all fascinated by it. Like think of the people, the amounts of people that still show up for the Society of Biblical Literature and this annual conference that happens and, and the way that we're learning, like people are, People have this awareness. Uh, we are still translating this 2,000, 3,000-year-old document into applicable language today with digital footnotes because we are so just it's – why, it's why it should never be boring. But I also feel like sometimes when people say the Bible doesn't have any relevance, what they're really – what we're often critiquing is the institutions that surround the Scriptures, the people of God and how they've lived out the Scriptures – but I, I very rarely hear the Bible or Jesus has no relevance. Um, if that's really what's being stated, it's like, oh, well, let's just spend some time because take your pick, like throw a dart at a table of contents. Let's pick a book. 
because there's so much there's so much beauty there's so much robust complex depth uh, that, and that's for anybody that handles the scriptures not just as a teacher or a pastor but any of us that love the bible i mean that's why this stuff matters is because it is it not only is it relevant to the application today it it, it it's I, I, maybe I'm just a Bible nerd. It's fun. It is. Amen. There is so much. There is so much going on in it, and so, yeah. That that those are those are my responses to that. Well, I, I think your book helps with this because uh, you know I think many people, what they know about the Bible or what they know about the Christian faith, it's just been kind of spoon fed to them or served up. You know, here here's what it means, and here's the answers, and and you're asking people. To get involved in the text, to wrestle with the text, and to uh, to ask, as you say, better questions of the Bible, and it becomes a whole different experience reading the Bible for yourself and reading it that way, asking the the good questions. Talk to us about the first practical step to understanding how to ask better questions of the Bible. Yeah, for me, there's a foundational question that we talk about towards the beginning of the book. And from it, like a million other questions spin off. But the, the question that matters the most to me is, a, is simply a foundational awareness, a fundamental awareness that there's a conversation between a biblical author and a biblical audience. That's the, ins- we, we talk about inspired. Like that's a word that I love, inspired, God breathed. Like the reason this word is powerful is because it, somehow in the process, it has its origins in, in what God has done through his people. And that comes through understanding the conversation between the biblical author and their audience. If we, if we start there, that's where all these other questions and the rest of the book will basically say, okay, so when you're in Torah, if we're wanting to understand the, the conversation between author and audience, then be aware of these questions. When we're in wisdom literature, if we're wanting to understand author and audience, be aware of these questions. So there are a bunch of questions that spin off of this awareness that the Bible's not written to me. The Bible's not written directly for me. The Bible is written between author and audience, and I'm getting to eavesdrop on this God-breathed conversation so that I can learn how to live out the gospel in my own context today. And so that's the first step. The first step is simply having this innate knee-jerk awareness that I need to be asking the question, who's the biblical author from centuries, thousands of years ago, and who's the audience and what conversation are they having? Because that's going to lead me to all the better questions to ask. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when Kevin, when you asked that question, I just thought how many conversations or how many, whatever that I've had with people, especially over the last year, I've traveled a lot and been with uh, people that are in different places with their faith or no faith and and realize that one of the one of the disservices that we as believers perpetuate is that we don't ask any questions at all of the Bible of scripture. And so when someone asks us, it isn't relevant because we haven't asked, we haven't been curious, we haven't, you know, whatever. So I just love that thing of audience and author and and maybe that also will take down some of the like defenses that some believers have about asking questions of scripture by looking at it in in that way it doesn't feel 
I mean, it feels more accessible to talk about questioning or asking better questions or asking any questions with that kind of framework. Yeah. Uh, Tina, when you say that, I love I love how you worded that. We don't ask any questions of the Bible, which gives us, which should be the first indicator that we are now using the Bible in the service of something else. If we're not coming to the Bible with questions, it means that we think we have all the answers. It means that we believe that somebody somewhere figured out the Bible, so now I'm using the Bible to get something else done. I'm now using, I'm leveraging the Bible to proof text, or I'm using the Bible to tell somebody to do what I want them to do, or I'm using the Bible. I'm not actually coming to the Bible to let God use the Bible to change me. And I mean, that's one of the most like fundamental, that's just a really key insight. And and I love that. We, we've got to be, if we're not asking questions of the Bible, it betrays what we actually think, which is, I already got the Bible figured out. I'm going to use the Bible for my ends rather than let God use the Bible for his ends in my, in my heart and life and leadership. Absolutely. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning, training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. You say that readers will learn to read the historic books of the Bible as both inspirational and as cautionary tales. Tell, tell me a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean about that. Yeah, so that reference really comes in, yeah, like like the question said, the historic, the history portion of the, and when we read history, we as Westerners, especially Western Bible readers, I think we've gotten used to this idea that when I'm reading history, what the, what the historian's trying to do is he's trying to tell me what happened. Like, here's the facts of what happened, and you just need to know what happened because it happened. But the the biblical historian is more prophetic than that. The biblical historian is trying to say, I'm going to tell you what happened, but if I'm going to take the time to write down what happened, I also need us to learn from what happened. So I'm either telling history to inspire or I'm telling history to learn from a cautionary tale. I'm telling history with a purpose, like there's a prophetic purpose. And so we talk about in the book, um, the fact that the history books, there's no section in Jewish literature for history. 
it's Torah, it's the prophets, and it's the writings. And almost all the books that you and I would say are history end up in what they call the prophets, which means the history. It's like 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, for the Jewish reader, is a prophet because there's an agenda to the writing. It's prophetic. It's telling history with an agenda. It's because it's saying, let's not repeat history. Let's learn from history, or let's be inspired by history to be the people that God wants us to be. But say the tale of David and Goliath, that story is not being told just so I know it happens. That story is supposed to change me, stir me, provoke me, transform me. So what are those things, if the author's taking the time to tell me that whole story, you know, what, what is it I'm supposed to take away from that? So that's what we mean when we say history being used as inspiration or cautionary tale. When did you first become interested in, in biblical history and how has that interest just enriched your faith? I became, that's a good question. I became interested in biblical history when I became aware of how much history laid behind reading the Bible better. So when I woke up to what I would call contextual historical hermeneutics, that's when history all of a sudden mattered. And that's when I got into it because I I would listen to, so I was raised in a reformed uh, upbringing, and then I was trained in a Stone Campbell training on two different ends of a theological spectrum, but both of them very theological, both of them very doctrinal, very dogmatic, very systematic theology. Here's what the Bible teaches. Here's your categories. Here's your buckets. Go and give to the world. Um, and, and like I said, those buckets weren't working for me, but somewhere along the way, um, somebody handed me somebody who was looking through the lens of history as they, they had this awareness to go back to what we were saying earlier. They had this awareness of an author and an audience. And they, and they kept talking about the Bible through this, this is the conversation that was happening in history 2,500 years ago. And I was like, oh gosh, this changes everything. Well, then I got interested in biblical history. Um, and because now, I mean, that's what, that's the engine kind of powering that hermeneutic. You, you can't, you can't engage that hermeneutic without an understanding uh, on some level of biblical history. I don't want to overstate that and say only the academic historians can engage this, but you have to be aware of what questions and and the beauty of the internet, the beauty of the information age is anybody can do that now. It's no longer just the person in seminary taking a class in textual criticism. Anybody can jump on and learn how to Google the right things, look for the right stuff, learn the right history, read the right scholars, and anybody can learn this stuff now. And that's the, that's the fun of it. I just Marty, I'm just listening. You know, I'm thinking, like I, I don't know that I have ever talked about the Bible with like such joy. Like you've used the word like fun, and you know, like such a um, refreshing kind of whatever, and also like challenges me to have more of a sense of like happiness. <laughs> like it's like you can see that Scripture is life giving to you. Absolutely. Has it always been that way? Or is this like a progression in your? No, I I think it's always been this way. I haven't always been as satisfied. And by saying that, I don't mean like complete. Like I'm more satisfied than ever. And I have more questions. I literally have more questions than than ever. Um, I'm more, I just was listening to uh, the interview that Bono did with Christianity Today. And he at one point in the interview says, uh, I've never been more on, on on the foundation of my soul. I've never been less insecure. 
Like I'm totally secure in my foundation of Christ on the surface that, which is what enables me to ask all of these questions and be comfortable going to all of these places. And I love that statement, but mm-hmm. I, I have always loved the Bible. I've always loved learning. And even in my most insecure moments, I mean, I can remember being the kid in elementary school that was never picked to play the team. I always wanted to be the athlete. I ended up being the athlete later, but when I was younger and the only thing I had to offer the world, I learned in some dysfunctional way was that I was smart. And so I wanted to learn and study. And uh, God's always used that piece of me to bless others. It's It's also been some of my greatest dysfunction as well. But the Bible always has been a joy. And I think what I've enjoyed and what I've, what I've like at key points in my journey where I could have lost that joy or found a place of despair, because if it stopped being joyful, I don't know what, but I had mentors that were in my life that said, hey, here's your next thing. Walk through that door. Ask this question. Check this out. Watch this video. And those things have just opened, like the doors just keep opening and keep opening. And it is, it's a, it's a wonderful, I, like people ask, like, what would you, like, if heaven is this place where you get to do whatever for all of eternity, what would you do? And I'm like this, I would do this. I would do this. I would just want to learn about the Bible and not just the Bible as like, the, uh, but Jesus and God and what he's up to in the world and what he's done through his people and hear the stories and tell people all about it and watch the lights come on and like it goes back to that first question about irrelevance. Like, tell me the Bible's not relevant. Come on. I, this is, mm-hmm. this is, this is where the good stuff is. These are the deepest questions we've ever asked in all of human history. Like mm-hmm. this is what else, what more, what other thing could be more fulfilling, more life giving, more packed full of potential than this stuff. Like it's, it's the good stuff for me. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's good that, that you might see that, that I might wear that in that way. That's fun. You, you wear it very well, and, and your your joy is contagious in, in getting into the tech. You work with a lot of young adults, yeah. too. And uh, how do you, just if I can ask, you know, you, you get these young adults, and, and you see one kind of start to come to life and engage and get, you know, maybe interested for the first time. What would you recommend to some young person today saying, I've never really dusted off a Bible at home. I've gone to church, but never really engaged it. Where would you encourage them to just get started? Well, I know this really great podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 you, you can, you can uh, push the podcast. <laughs> yeah. The Bima podcast is a, I've referred several people who, yeah, are really thinkers and trying to figure it out to your podcast, Marty. So I definitely would promote that. Well, the tools are helpful. Like the the thing I would always tell people is just get the word of God in you. Like it's like prayer or anything else. It's full of the spirit of God. Like we're, we're told in Ephesians, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Yes. So the Holy Spirit and the word of God have this, whatever that relationship is, there's a relationship there. And so just like I could tell somebody with full faith and assurance, if prayer is your thing, man, you go pray because you'll meet Jesus. I can also tell somebody, just get the Bible in you. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about whole Bible books. I'm not talking about, what if you memorized one verse a week for the rest of this year? 
I'll give you a couple years, a couple weeks to take vacation or screw up or whatever. That's 50 verses. That's 50 verses a year. Tell me that's not going to change a person's life. Tell me God's not going to start to shape your heart. Tell me that those 50 verses aren't going to find ways of coming out of you into other people. Tell me, like, it's we're not talking about crazy amounts of, you know, running off into the desert and becoming an Essene or being like Marty and, you know, <laughs> writing. Just get find some little way to put a little bit of text in you and do it over and over and over again and do it for long enough that you can look back over a year or five years or a decade and go, holy smokes, God did something there. And I couldn't see it this day and this day and this day and whatever, but I can look back and go, this made a huge, huge difference. Because what you're doing is you're putting, you're creating space for God. God fills that space. And and now we're off to the races because who know who knows what kind of fruit God's going to bear with that, mm, and that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in following up to the conversation or the the thing of like how much joy you have in talking about the Bible and studying the Bible, I I I hope that people will read your book because I think part of like part of the like emotion that I hear is because you do know how to ask good questions. And so asking good questions of scripture brings that to life in a way. And so like, I hope that people will use your book as a resource to figure out how to ask better questions so that we can also have this sense of like fun in reading scripture because we have better tools. So I really, I really appreciate that you are sharing a resource with us on how we can like have that kind of joy in, in reading and understanding better what scripture is trying to teach us. So, um, so common grounds unity is a, is a unity movement and we're seeking to be in part the answer to Jesus's prayer for unity in John 17. How does asking better questions of the Bible lead to unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? How does it help us better fulfill the role of being unified? Man, with where we're at in the church and the world today, it, it's it's everything. I don't know if we'll find it without learning how, how to ask better questions, because what we've done for the last century or two, or maybe the last three or four, this modern era, is we've used the Bible to very clearly articulate who we are and essentially why we're right. Um I think the beginning of the 20th century made us even more nervous, the rise of fundamentalism as a response to liberalism and textual criticism, this movement of making sure we're confident, that we're uh, sure of ourselves, that we, we use Scripture. We just don't use Scripture in a way that unifies. We use Scripture in a way that clearly delineates, and, and is, uh, I don't want to say as divisive, but the application of it shows why I'm not like you and why you're not like me. And here's why I'm more right than you. And so if we don't learn how to ask better questions of the Bible and have a better reading of the Bible, we're never going to be able to particularly use the Bible or let the Bible bring us to more unity. But if we can learn how to ask better questions of the Bible, it's not that we have to get rid of all these beautiful distinctions or the convictions that we hold. We don't have to get rid of any of that. But a better reading of the Bible and better questions is going to invite us. Um, it's going to pull us towards a table, 
And really, it's where I know for so many of us and your listeners, we're coming from a Stone Campbell tradition. I mean, that's the foundation of our movement. It was a group of people that were just going to the Bible with the same wide-eyed wonder. We're just going to read it and do what it says. And what it was doing, it was pulling Baptists and Presbyterians together and Methodists, and it was pulling people together. And it's because they were asking a different set of questions for their day and time, which can no longer be the questions that we're asking for our day and time. But asking the right questions is what pulled them together then, and it's what's got to be able to pull us together now. So I, I do think that there's a better reading, and I do think it has everything to do with unity. Yeah, it was it was one of the early movements to deconstruct much of Ooh. what was being said and then hopefully build back better. And isn't oh. that a great call for every generation? Kevin, stop it. You're preaching. <laughs> Don't get me going. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, th- this has just been a terrific couple of podcasts. We always so enjoy having you with us, and uh, we know that our listeners uh, in- enjoy uh, hearing these conversations as well. One of the things we did last time we were together, we kind of wrapped things up with a little lightning round. So will you go back with That was fun. I think people got to know you a little bit more outside of your uh, just your your theology work and your ministry work. So can we throw a few more at you? You got it. It was the fun part. Let's do it again. All right. And we won't go back to cartoon characters. Yeah, don't do that again. I don't know if I found an answer between now and then. All right. Let me let me launch this off. If you owned a boat, what would you name it? Oh, I would name it. Uh, what would I name it? I would name it. Uh, I, I feel like I want to name it. I want to go back to my root. I'm going to name it Shekinah. Oh, there we go. The glory. The glory of God. That's what I'm going to name my boat. There you go. Oh, I like that. And hopefully no smoke rises up from it. Yeah, well, like that. I hope not. Not the bad stuff. <laughs> okay, sushi or never sushi? Sushi's my favorite food. I'm really? Not, we're not just answering. Sushi is my favorite food. Marty, what's your favorite food? Sushi. Boom. Love sushi. Okay, forget all this stuff about unity around a cup of coffee. I'm for unity around some good sushi. I like that. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite city besides where you live? Um, the, nobody is going to hear this well, but Vegas. Because <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I just, I love the entertainment and the shows there. I love, I, I got one of my executives that lives there. Uh, I just love that place. Like if you were to ask me where I, if I had to pick somewhere to retire other than home, it would be, I want to go retire to Vegas because I would, my wife and I would just love it there. And not for hey. wrong reasons, all the right reasons, all right? Well, hey, and there's actually some great churches in Vegas. And, Absolutely. Uh, good things happen in there. There's ministry to be done in Vegas. Uh, so, um, do you have a favorite season? Winter. No question. I love... I have this saying, I can always put more layers on. I can only take so many layers off before I get arrested. So <laughs> I, I love to bundle up, I wrap scarves around my, my neck, put my beard underneath something soft and warm. I, I love, I, I will do more walking in winter than I will spring or fall or, or really? obviously. So I just love to be out in the cold. Um, yeah. Love it. That's me. I love the winters here in San Diego. You know, it gets down into the low 60s and just beautiful. I'm with you. Yeah. Amen. You're crazy. Okay. So cake or pie? Pie. Now get that cake nonsense out of here. All right. What kind of pie? Cherry. 
there's no hesitation. Cartoon characters, he can't come up with it immediately. Nothing. It's cherry pie. Food, I got it. I got answers all day when it comes to food. Cartoon characters, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, one last one. What is your favorite sport to either watch or play? Uh, football. I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like that's going to come under fire, but football. I'm a Cincinnati <laughs> Bengal fan. Always have been since I was six years old. I just happen to live in the city now, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Love to watch it. Love to play it. Love to play it when I was younger. Yeah, that's my sport. Uh, excellent. Marty, what fun to have you. We hope you've had fun having this conversation with us. We hope you'll come back again in the future. Be a return guest again because the conversations are always just, just terrific. Um, yeah. I, I want to say as we kind of close out, I want to thank Tina Bruner. Uh, my co-host uh, for the good questions, a good conversation. The book, once again, is Asking Better Questions of the Bible. Uh, the author and our guest is Marty Solomon. Uh, he is also the host of the BEMA podcast. Uh, the book is going to be released in February on NAB Press. You can go to nabpress.com and learn more uh, about uh, the release of this book. Be sure to get it, engage with it and to learn how to ask better questions of the Bible. If you want to learn more about Marty, you can go to martysolomon.com. He's involved in a number of different uh, things in life and ministry. So, Marty, do you got anything you want to close with to say to our uh, audience? Uh, just uh, I love what you guys are up to, love what you're doing. If we can figure out more things that bring us to unity, whether it's the Bible or anything else, there's something about what Jesus said. It seems to be the one, the one testimony, the one message we have to say to the world is the fact we all gather around a table, break bread, drink juice together, and say me too. So um, it's beautiful. Amen. Keep on doing it. Love that. Any any ruminating on what your next book might be? Uh, if if they want it, you know, a lot of it is what the publisher wants me to do. But if they're up for it, I'm hoping the next book's going to be on curiosity and a third book on empathy is what, is what I'm hoping. I, there's something about asking questions that does something to us. The first book is easy. It's like putting the Bible out here at arm's distance. And it feels like the real provocative, let's ask better questions of the Bible. But really, I mean, really, at the end of the day, that's the easy stuff. What happens inside of me when I become comfortable asking questions? That's the harder. And then what happens to the way I treat people when I become aware of that? So mm. I think there's a journey here that I hope to, to talk about. And I think ah. it's relevant to how we become more loving people. You're on to something. We'll look forward to that. Yeah. That sounds hey, great. We thank you, our listeners, for listening in. And we hope you're as blessed as we are for being a part of Common Grounds Unity. Go out and get a cup of coffee with uh, another believer that you don't know. Start to build some connections. And as a unified people, let's bear witness to Jesus and, and his love for our communities. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts 
with a cup of coffee.